Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched The Wedding Singer, which stars Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And it came out in 1998. And Allison, what were your predictions for The Wedding Singer? I predicted I would still enjoy it and that it would be uh, riddled with problems. And I would say you were fairly accurate. I on was that right. Prediction. So the first problem we need to talk about is that this movie, as you said, came out in '98. It takes place in 1985, which today is like if we made a movie about 2008. Yeah, which that's so weird. Yes, I feel like somebody, I don't know if it was the writer or the director or Adam Sandler, somebody wanted to use like the 80s aesthetic and 80s music. Maybe 2008 just doesn't have like a strong enough aesthetic. Maybe. I bet if we But it seems back. so weird to do like a movie from 13 years, like a nostalgia movie. I will say... One of the things I like about this movie is that it's very, like, the plot is very simple. Like, it's a very standard rom-com plot. Yeah. So without the 80s, like, layover, it'd be a boring movie. Yeah. But instead, you get all this, like, fun 80s nostalgia, which feels different in 2020 when 80s nostalgia was 30 years ago. Jesus Christ. But I also feel like giving it the 80s, brush allowed for like very specific costuming very specific music very specific makeup and like a level of camp and like you said i think that that makes this a much more memorable movie than it may have otherwise been and i think that both barrymore and sandler like fit very nicely into this like over-the-top 80s world that this movie has built. She's really charming. We've talked about Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore before because we did Never Been Kissed. I think we should dedicate this and all of our Drew Barrymore episodes to friend of the podcast, Kia Brown, who is a Drew Barrymore stan. She's just really endearing. Yes. <laughs> She's just adorable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She is insanely appealing and insanely likable as is Sandler it's part of what works so nicely when they team up for a rom-com is that they're both just really likable people they're yes they're cute they're likable they they're both fantastic actors so you can put them in these sort of like absurdist situations and not feel totally alienated from the movie it's it's it they ground the movie in a really nice way there's a reason we keep making or at least like through the 2000s made rom-coms with these two whether it was together or separately they're they're fun to watch and you believe them when they're falling in love yes we dove right in the wedding singer plot is very very simple is that adam sandler a wedding singer is about to get married and gets left at the altar by his fiance, who the only other thing I've seen her in is she's the girl Ross slept with when he and Rachel were on a break. So just like a known villain. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Ross is the villain. Obviously, Ross is the villain. I have been on another podcast where my entire point was 
Ross Geller is a horrible person. <laughs> the copy Obviously girl. not defending Ross. I'm just saying the copy girl did not play a part. Yeah. She knew he was in a relationship. I think it's wild that like. I'm not having this argument again. <laughs> no, no, no. I just think it's wild that like Ross and Rachel on a break and the hot coffee girl, copy girl are like 90s pop culture juggernauts. And I literally have, other than this movie, have no idea what this woman has been in. No, I looked up her IMDb and it's, that's it. That's what she's done. I mean, she, she is responsible. Her character is responsible for like. Great rom-com couples. I mean, truly. So anyway, she leaves him at the altar. uh, Because apparently in 1998, we, we were just like, what if she's a bad girlfriend? And that's how we cast her. And Drew Barrymore is engaged to another comically villainous guy. Um, she's a wedding cocktail waitress. Cocktail waitress in the way I word. She's like a cater waiter. Cater waiter, yeah. And like obviously they've and they're both like sweet and meek and shy. And Adam Sandler does that thing where he's like really shy until he gets angry and then he yells like Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> and this was back in the days when we were still using that sparingly and not where he would yell like that for an entire movie. And I really like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can guess how it's going to And Billy Idol plays a hand in their eventual getting together in a yes. lovely way. Also, just also kind of setting up. So this is 1998. So Adam Sandler left SNL in 1995. He did Billy Madison in 95, Happy Gilmore in 96, Wedding Singer in 98, Waterboy in 99, Big Daddy in 99, and Little Nicky in 2000. So this is like, we are in, yes, peak Adam Sandler comedy slash rom-coms. He's everywhere right now. He is the SNL breakout guy at this moment. This movie also has like a SNL cameos. It feels like. A movie like when any like big SNL stars in a movie, there's also like seven other SNL stars. Yes, and this like John Lovett shows up, Kevin Nealon shows up. Oh. Um, you know, there's just like doesn't Kevin Nealon suck? I not that I'm aware of, but I maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't well, spend I a whole up with. Chevy Chase. No, Chevy Chase definitely sucks. Maybe he's a perfectly lovely guy. I mean, maybe he's, like, married to his high school sweetheart and they have 2.4 kids and he's now a grandpa. Like, you don't fucking know any campaign The third article that pops up is tidying up with Marie Kondo why I found it problematic. And this comes up because a contestant's name was Kevin. I'm not going to look into this any further and I'm just going to send an apology to Kevin Nealon. I'm thinking of someone else. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, not that I'm aware. Like, I just feel like we haven't heard a lot from Kevin Nealon. There's, like, one article about him from Closer Weekly, and then we move into things that have nothing to do with Kevin Nealon. So, I'm sorry. Okay, moving on. Kevin Nealon shows up in this movie. Also, so do Steve Buscemi, and then those two guys that are in all Adam Sandler movies, who I had Jeff look up their names while we were watching last night. It's Peter Dante and, and Alan Cover. Alan Cover plays his best friend, the limo driver, and then Peter Dante really just has... Like a cameo, a very like one line in the first wedding that we see, but those two guys are Adam Sandler staples. Well, there's as an Adam is Sandler. There's an Adam Sandler staple we're missing, and I was not mad about it. Rob Schneider. 
Oh, I yeah, had yeah. to pause because I had to Google L. King dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's problematic. Are you getting Kevin Elan and Rob Schneider confused? No, there's an old beloved SNL person who's become very problematic that isn't like in addition to Chevy Chase and he's from the like Kevin Nealon era and I can't get there but it's not Kevin Nealon. Larry um not uh Dennis Miller? Yes. In my <laughs> I'm that's so rude of me. It's so rude of me to mix up Kevin Nealon and Dennis Miller. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it. I will do it again, but this one's on me, guys. Kevin Nealon when you come up problematic, it's just a closer weekly article about his greatest life regret. I'm not going to click to find out what it is, but I'm sure it's lovely if it's in Closer Weekly. <laughs> is Dennis Miller also not problematic? Is he, what, does he, like, feed puppies or something? He's he's super right wing. He's a right, but he's not, like, been a big Trump supporter. He was a big Bush supporter. He was, like, after a 9-11, he got kind of, like, radicalized um, to, to, like, neocon. Um <laughs> But he evidently hates Lindsey Graham, so we have that in common. I mean, you know, if, if we're supposed to be friends with everyone who hates Lindsey Graham, that's I'm not. That's too many people. Anyway, the moral of the story is that as far as we know, Kevin Nealon is just kind of like happy in his retirement and giving sweet in interviews to sixty five plus mag. Look, I I, right. <laughs> I take it back. Like, anyway, popping up Kevin in Neal's the AARP the mag. Like, let me tell you about what I've learned in life. And Al's over here like, he's a horrible person. I feel like for years I've, like, held a resentment towards Kevin Neal and thinking he was Dennis Miller. And I feel bad about that, but, like, whatever. White men all look the same to me. Okay, moving on. Since he is in this movie for maybe 30 seconds. We've spent more time talking about Kevin Nealon on this podcast than he appears in the movie The Wedding Singer. We're off to a great start. Great start. All right. Focus back. Jeff, whenever we watch a movie, Jeff will, he, he reads the IMDb trivia. And, which is always helpful because then we get like some little nuggets. And the best one that he found was the one... I sent you yesterday, which is that Carrie Fisher worked on this script and she did punch up as did Judd Apatow. Neither of them are credited, but they both did punch up on this script. And the quote that she, she says that, so she worked on this script for six months and she said that her goal was to add heart strength and dimension to Julia, the Drew Barrymore character. And she, whenever she does punch up, her goal is to make the women smarter and the love scenes better. And I think that that does, I mean, who knows what this script looked like before Carrie Fisher's work, but I think that that comes through a great deal in this movie. I think casting Barrymore in that, in this role helps, but she is a likable, interesting heroine. She is in a crummy relationship and we don't like her fiance and truly there's a little bit of really clear why she's with him yeah i think there's a like a little bit of me that's like why is this woman even in this relationship but it's also this movie is so not deep and so sort of simple and i don't mean that in a negative way that you don't really and because it's kind of campy you don't really want him to have like the nuance of like the 
a good man, just not the right man for her. Like, he's a villain. Same with, each of their partners are sort of one-note comedy villains. The, her partner, Greg? What's his name? Glenn. Glenn. We gave him, like, the, the, like, most generic white man, Edie's Wall Street name. Well, and he's playing, like, an, like, a stereotypical, like, 80s movie villain. He's playing Biff. Like, yeah, we're not or trying... like every character that James Spader played in the 80s. Yes, like he's playing a, a caricature that's supposed to be a caricature. So like, yeah. yes, I wrote down make the women smarter and the love scenes better just because it's such a good like forever note. Is it a little unbelievable that this woman would be in this relationship? Like, or is it hard to see like what she sees in him? Yes, of course. But we're also not looking for like nuance or like a realistic relationship. This is a very broad comedy. Yeah. And we've talked in the past about, you know, we like movies. What, what did we watch recently where it wasn't like he wasn't a bad guy. He just wasn't the right guy for her. Um, Literally everything. Well, well, we didn't watch while you were. Sli- I mean, I watched while you were sleeping recently, but not for fun. Right, but basically, Sleepless like, in Seattle. Yeah, like we've talked about how we like that nuance. We like where like the other man or the other woman isn't a villain. It's just that they're, you know, not the right person. I like that, but in this movie, I didn't want that. I wanted like a classic. This movie is heightened. It's exaggerated. It's. It's got some camp. It's And so I want, like, a textbook villain. I want to not like their partners. I want the easiness of th- saying, like, oh, yeah, of course she's not going to end up with him. He sucks. Like, this, it makes for an easy movie and a fun watch. Yeah, I think when you and I talk about what we consider to be, like, the great rom-coms, we're not talking about this. This is not our type of sort of great movie. But they are not creating a textbook bad villain because it's bad writing they're cre- that is in this case good writing that's the right tone of this movie it's just it's just different this is not when harry met sally or while you were sleeping or sleepless in seattle this is adam sandler this is an adam sandler movie yeah and yeah, and it feels like an adam sandler movie yeah and and that's and I don't mean that negatively. Like last night when I was when we watched this movie, like I really enjoyed watching it. I had a good time. It was a good end of the week, fun movie. It's easy. It's and easy it's to watch. Funny. I mean, so I think the other thing is like in an Adam Sandler rom com, you get a lot more of the calm side of things. There's physical humor. There, I mean, Adam Sandler. It, particularly at this time, was a breakout star because he's funny. He has very good comedy instincts. And so he has, there are lots of moments in this movie where he has kind of throwaway lines that when you catch them are laugh out loud funny. Yeah. One of my favorite moments of this movie happens at the end and it's when Billy Idol is, this this is like the camp, when Billy Idol is getting Glenn away from Adam Sandler so that he can profess his love for Drew Barrymore. And Glenn says, like, get out of my way, Billy. Like, and there's no reference to the fact that it's like, oh, fuck, it's Billy Idol. He just says, like, get out of my way, Billy. I don't want to have to hurt you. And it's hilarious to me that in this dumbass world, he's just like, of course, Billy Idol is on this plane. Like, that's the world we're living in, where Billy Idol shows up on an airplane and everyone's like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. This is normal. 
I'm um, not looking for anything much deeper than that. Also, in the a, guy in that my plays Glenn. Ha- I, if I were an actor, that guy has my dream career. He is literally like, I have absolutely no idea what his name is. His IMDb credits are like, uh, he has like 130 credits on IMDb. He's been in literally everything. He's played every kind of character role you can find. And I have no idea what his name is. And I bet he has a very nice house in LA and he sends his kids to a good school, but he can eat at a restaurant. Well, not right now, but in general, he can eat at a restaurant without a whole lot of people bothering him. I mean, dream career for an actor. He's the type of actor that if you saw out in L.A., you'd be like, hey, that guy looks familiar. Did I go to high school with him or is that a celebrity? <laughs> yes. Yes. You'd be like, that guy. I think he was in The Wedding Singer. And also, like, a million other things I've I seen. don't think I could have gotten there, though. Like, once I watched it, I'm like, yeah, of course, that's Glenn. But I think if I saw him out, I wouldn't be like, Wedding Singer? I'd just be like, did you teach me science? Like, or like, are you an athlete? It'd be like when I saw that guy who was dating like, Lady Gaga. <laughs> and I was like, that's Lady Gaga's dog. You're yeah, That's so, Lady Gaga's dog. Quick digression, I was, one summer I walked dogs in Chicago, and I was walking them in this fancy downtown neighborhood, and there was a guy that looked really familiar, and I was like, I think he's a basketball player, and I texted Gary, and I, because I snuck a picture of him and his dog, and Gary was like, he's on Chicago Fire, he's engaged to Lady Gaga, that's Lady Gaga's French bulldog. And then my Bernice Shepherd that I was walking tried to go toward, tried to attack the French bulldog, and me and the guy like nodded at each other. That's the level of celebrity this guy is. I, yeah. I literally was like, either he's an athlete or he was a couple years ahead of me in high school. One of yes. the two. And Carrie was like, Except no, no. Except that, like, that guy, the Chicago Fire guy, was, like, trying to be, like, the hot leading man guy. This guy, I, I know nothing about him, but I assume he is very comfortable in his, like, has been on every iteration of Law and & Order as a cop and or lawyer and or pedophile Career. You're making a lot of assumptions. You don't know that he didn't dream of being. You're right. I don't. But I'm just saying. He could be really miserable in his very successful career. I'm just saying. He's been on. If if it, there is a procedural drama that has aired, he's been on it. I was trying to figure out where I knew him from and I didn't even IMDb it. And I was like, probably everything. <laughs> I'm not like. <laughs> he's literally that guy. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Glenn Gulia. Um, I did IMDb him and like one of his first credits or one of the first things I saw was like, I don't know, a Criminal Minds or an NCIS or something. And I was like, OK, sure. Right. Yeah. The soundtrack in this is also fantastic. I mean, I wanted to it, look up if they all came out before 1985 or if we were also listening to some late 80s music. And then I was like, no one cares. Right. <laughs> I was like, it's not this is not supposed to be factually accurate. Also, this movie did instrumental versions of popular songs years before Bridgerton. So I think we see some real, some real, some Shonda stealing some Sandler stuff, or it's just kind of an interesting idea. (laughs) Um, It's distracting to me in both, but I'm like, what fucking song? Just tell, just tell me what Taylor Swift song this is so I can watch the grotesque sex scenes. (laughs) Um, Westworld does that. They do like broad, like big booming instrumentals of like pop songs. And I'm like, this is obnoxious. I mean, I already don't like that. I'm watching this show and now I got to figure out what this song is. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first song, it opens up with Spin Me Round, which is a fantastic song. Plus, you get an, a Sandler performance of it. And he does that that kind of classic Sandler thing where it's like a goofy performance, but he's also clearly a very talented singer. It's it's a Maya Rudolph thing. Um, 
that's just it makes for a, like a lot of fun musical performances in this. He plays a very nice guy. He he as comically evil as her fiance as Glenn is. Yeah, Adam Sandler is the stereotypical nice guy. Like literally in the first scene of the movie, he like the his best friend the limo driver whose actor name I've already forgotten and will not uh, remember. It's talking about how he wants to like ha- have sex with Drew Barrymore because she's the new waitress or whatever, and he's being a little bit creepy and a little bit harassy. And Adam Sandler is like kind of calling him out on it, and then he like helps a kid puke in the alley. So he doesn't like he does these couple things in the first. We're like, oh, he's the nice guy. This is like yes, classic like- nice guy doesn't want to have sex with the new girl and helps a kid puke so he doesn't get in trouble with his parents. We have some right. sort of like this guy's gonna be good. Yeah, There's and no then, like, a little bit later, good, other guy's bad. A little bit later, we get a scene at a at a bar mitzvah where he helps like the nerdy kid who's played by the same kid who plays Bruce, Bruce Brogtrotter and Matilda. Bruce-y. If the, that helps give you like an image of this kid, um, helps him like look cool in front of the other kids. Um, so yeah, we get a lot of signals that this Just guy nice is a guy. good guy, and Sandler plays it well. Yeah, he never does anything bad. He's just a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it's kind of easy to watch a movie with truly no nuance at all. You're like, oh, you're the good guy. You're the bad guy. He's going to get the girl. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. in the girls, it's like, oh, Linda's the mean woman. Uh, Drew Barrymore's the nice woman. Christine Taylor's the slut. Christine Taylor's the slut. We're here. We love it. Go. <laughs> yeah. I love a good, like, Christine Taylor as the best friend performance. Really, like, I I would love to see more of her. I mean, could we... Zoolander, I think, could take... If we're... Is a romantic comedy, we can throw that on the list. Okay. That she's the hero of. Um, This is our second wedding movie in a row where the lead's name is some version of Julia Julianne Jules. It's true. It's a good... I feel like... For, like, white women in rom-coms, there's, like, five names, and Julia's one of them. Or it's, like, yeah. some version of Catherine, Katie, Kate. Maybe an Emma here or there. All right. So let's talk about some of the problems in this movie, which we expected. Look, it's a Sandler but... movie from the 90s. There was going to be some fat shaming. <laughs> yes. That no, was probably... That was, like, the most glaring – well, that and the – some of the transphobia that went on. But, like, the there. the fat shaming or, like, the fat phobic jokes was the most glaringly cringy to me. He literally, like, calls some guy fatty and he's like, you're just here for the cake. And the guy's like, I am. And he has – it's like – it's it's not even, like, clever fat jokes. Not that, like, fat jokes are ever good. But it's literally just, like, a guy with a napkin who, like, can't stop eating. And it's like, look at the fatty who can't stop eating. And it's like, oh, yeah. that's the level we're working at. Cool. Right. Like, the the laziness here. Uh, um, not the – both in that they're calling – they're making jokes about the fat guy being lazy and the laziness of the writing. Of the writing, yeah. And, and um, also, I just, like, I'm over it. I'm so over, like, fat phobic stuff in – in pop culture and granted i know that this was 20 plus years ago i don't but think it's this still ever even in 98 like even in 98 no. we it, we 
certainly we're not as advanced as we are in terms of no understanding anti-fat bias as we are now and we are not very advanced in that that's what certainly I'm weren't in 98 like, but fat guy eating isn't that funny was is has never in any world been a well-written joke it just it just hasn't it's just punching down right yeah um and there were a couple other like i stopped writing them because i got tired but there were a couple and one of the things that bothered me about it is, like, we're setting Adam Sandler up as this sort of, like, per- perfectly unnuanced, lovely guy. And then we have him, like, just fat shaming. And it's not supposed to be adding any nuance to his character. It's not supposed to be, like, also, he's flawed. It's just supposed to be funny. And it's just a wasted scene that could have otherwise yeah. been funny. Yeah. And it comes, like, it comes, like, when he's supposed to be having, like, a mental breakdown. But you could have given him a mental breakdown without, like making him an asshole right yeah you can he can have a bad performance and be a dick without because it's because the point of that scene is not like oh he's he's being he is being a dick but they're like let's write some funny being a dick jokes this will be funny make fun of the fat guy the point of view of the movie is not he's bad for making fat jokes right right it's this will be funny yeah. And it's not. Yeah. And I'm tired. Yeah. Um, the other... There's like, also... Sorry. Before okay. we get to the Alexis Arquette of it all, I was going to say, like, the other in the scene with the with Bruce Bogtrotter, where he, like, gets him to dance with Drew Barrymore, like, the culmination of that scene is he, like, grabs her ass, and then everyone starts dancing, grabbing her ass, and it's like, okay, this ends up in a... I get where this ended up. But also, like, we're just having a 13-year-old boy grab a woman's ass and no one's being like, hey, buddy, you're not actually supposed to do that. Well, and Adam Sandler dances with a 13-year-old girl and puts her hands on his ass. On his ass, yeah. point where I was like, mm, that's... <sighs> no, no, thank and you. And again, like, then everyone, at the, including, like, the old people at this bar mitzvah are, like, dancing, grabbing each other's asses, which, like, the consensual, consenting adult couples doing it is sort of cute. And the way we got there and all the other people doing it is very cringe. Right. Okay, so Alexis Arquette. Okay, so Alexis Arquette is in this movie. Um, At this point, I believe that she was identifying as male or at least like in her work was identifying as male because she's playing a male character whose name is George. I mean, it's supposed to be boy, like a somebody who boy george yeah is a boy george fan and like boy george impersonator um she has no lines i actually got like when i looked up this movie and saw that she was in it i was like this is gonna be cool because it's gonna be like trans representation before like maybe this movie i clearly did not remember this movie very well i was like maybe this is gonna have some like we're going to be like, look how advanced this movie was for the trans representation in 98. I was wrong. I, no. She doesn't say anything. She has she no sings lines. every now and she then. She sings. There's a running joke where she, like, only knows one song, and so she always sings that song. And it's it's kind of funny. Like, it's kind We're of trying. funny that it becomes a, this running gag. And she's talented. Like, she sings it well. Well, um, and then there's some joke where, like, he's off talking to Julia, and they come out, and, like, you have to – they're all getting sick of George. You have to – because, like, he she only – she only knows that one song. Right. Um, but they refer to, like, they refer to her as scary, that she's scaring the guests, 
there's, there's a, a gr- there's a joke where Steve Buscemi is like, uh, she's hot, and Steve Buscemi plays this like creepy drunk, bro- like brother, brother of the groom. Of the groom yeah. And so the joke is that this like creepy guy is attracted to the trans woman, and so the joke it's just sort of like it's it felt like a this is the only type of person that would be it felt freak showish. It felt yes. like it's still like it just it it felt very. It, her Objectifying. only point was to be made fun of. Yes. And we don't even see, like, so she is a band, like a bandmate, I guess, of Adam Sandler. We never see her and Sandler interact, ever. I had thought, I had remembered that they were brothers. Like, I thought that Alexis Arquette played Adam Sandler's sibling and that there was more interaction between them. We don't see them interact at all, really. So... She literally doesn't speak. Like, There's she's saying, no, she literally doesn't speak. Like, it doesn't, she's not even really a plot device to inform us about Sandler's character. Um, it, yeah, it was no, bad. she's there it to be made really fun of. bad. And, like, again, we're coming at this from a 2021 perspective, which isn't to forgive the movie, but just to say that, like, we are made, like, I, I would think that if this movie were made today and if she were still alive to be in this movie to that were made today, they would do it. I would hope, yeah. They would handle it better. But one of the sort of tragedies of this and the life expectancy of trans people in this country is that she's not alive today. We didn't really get a full... I don't think Alexis Arquette got the career she was due because of her... Mm -hmm. Because she was trans. And... Especially when you look at her family, who all have very successful, granted to varying degrees, careers. But that's a talented ass family. She was a talented person. And we don't, you know, we can't say like, this was a really, she was, this character was treated really shitty in this movie. But at least now today, she's getting this and this and this work because she's gone. And it just sort of felt like, and I like she has other work and she did other things and you and she was an activist and all sorts of wonderful things you can look into, but it is one of those sort of the great tragedy of living in such a prejudiced country and prejudiced society is we'll never know what she could have achieved had we just treated right. her with the Well, and I think it's also worth that she died due to complications from AIDS. So she died from a disease that killed millions of lgbtq people because when it began like when it kind of when the rise of aids happened they were treated as less than and and our leaders didn't care because it wasn't killing straight people um and i think that because i had sort of come into this movie excited as if we were this was going to be better it felt like a letdown yeah it really i kept waiting for her to like play a bigger role or have some, and it just never came. She has and a moment maybe, in and like montage when they're trying on wedding dresses where like she tries on what is I think the most attractive wedding dress. Like they're trying on these like yeah. ridiculous eighties wedding dresses, and then she tries on this one and is like happy in it. And I was trying to give the movie anything, so I was like, she seems really happy in that dress. But again, it's I think the joke of the I I think I the movie doesn't deserve that. The joke is the joke is here's a man in a dress. It is not right. honoring the fact that she is a not a man and b 
cringe. It's just poking fun at the character. Yeah. I, you know, and I, like, not to, to give the movie or the people making the movie a pass, I suspect that there was more of her that and it ended up on the cutting room floor. But, like, even that, I mean, you know, again, like, this sort of running joke about this person that we're objectifying like that was she was the expendable piece of this right. movie it's punching down it's the same it's similar yeah. to the the fat joke it's here is this other person who is not does not fit in what we deem is what a human being should look or act like let's make fun of them mm-hmm. and it's icky yeah and I don't know, I think both with trans representation and with fat representation, I think what's frustrating is I, I, I don't know that we've come much farther than this. Yeah. Which isn't to say if this movie were made today, I think it would be better. I don't know that those things would be gone. I think there'd still be fat jokes. I think we'd still, I think there'd still be some making fun of the trans woman. I I, I think those things are frustrating because it doesn't. We can't look at that and be like, God, what a horrible thing we used to do. Thank God we're moving past it because we're not super moving mm-hmm. past it. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And I think like rom-coms have an opportunity when it comes to transgender characters. They have an opportunity to to... First of all, tell like stories and love stories and comedies that aren't punching down about transgender people. But the other thing is like you have the opportunity to use like these movies have the opportunity to use transgender actors and just have them in the movies and not like not have it be about the fact that they're transgender. Like yeah. just put them in your rom-coms as leads and as best friends and you know again not to tie everything back to Shonda because I I know that that's just the person I've become but like I was watching a recent episode of Station 19 and there is a they've introduced a character I don't know that she'll be reoccurring but for this episode they introduced a character where um, they introduced Ben Warren's sister. For people who don't know, Ben, of course, Warren, ben is, Warren is um, Bailey's husband. So his sister is introduced, and it and the character is played by a trans woman. But that is not like she is, as far as we know, not trans in the story. It's not relevant to the story at all. It really doesn't ever come. Like her gender identity does not come up at all. It's not. She's not there because of her gender identity. She's there because of a completely separate storyline. Like, that is refreshing to see. And rom-coms have a wonderful opportunity because, you know, oftentimes we're not dealing with, like we said, simple, easy storytelling. So just, like, give actors work. Right, and, like, either you can have them – I don't have any problem – we sort of talked about this before. I do have a, we obviously have problems with cis, cis actors playing trans characters. I don't have any problem with trans actors playing cis characters, but also like maybe they could just show up and without any mention of it, maybe that character is still trans, but like, like all people, 
trans people have all sorts of problems and issues and things and things make them happy and sad and things go on with their life that is just attached to them being human and we don't always have to show tell their stories and have them be about that struggle not that we don't also want those stories but just allow characters to live and be in the world without them being the butt of a joke and we feel so far from like i love that shonda does that that isn't surprising but also like we just seem so far from that yeah and this is the worst version of that this is you know this is objectifying and punching down in the worst possible way it i mean i was gonna say at least we have a this is the lowest possible bar. I'm not forgiving this movie in any way. At least we have a trans woman playing this character because so often trans characters are played by cis actors, which feeds into this, it, which feeds into people's brains the idea that trans people are not the gender they say they are men dressing up as women or vice versa. That is the problem. That is the danger. That's dangerous. That's the danger of having cis actors play trans characters so at the very least we have a trans woman but it does it really feels like they're treating her like a circus freak yeah well and we're not even told that the character is a woman we're told like right it's a male identifying character so it just is all it's It's just all it's all bad yeah um yeah 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 we have taught we have discussed movies where the problems we we can't get past the problems this was a movie where i was able to still enjoy it it still felt i still it still felt fun it still felt funny um you know i think kind of like for better or worse that character in that storyline was not enough a part of this movie that it ruined the rest of it and a lot of this movie is saved by Barrymore and Sandler. And some fun music and bright colors and everyone sort of... Mom asked at one point when they show up to her engagement party and the limo driver character is dressed in like a thriller outfit. Mom was like, is this a costume party? And I was like, no, they're just always in like ridiculous 80s costumes. It's just right. like dumb fun. And there's yeah, sort Christina of like... Taylor, Christine Taylor is always dressed as Madonna. Yeah. There's fun, like, throwaway reference. Like, n- like none of these, all of the jokes are making fun of 80s. They talk about, <laughs> in a joke that truly doesn't hold up, The jo- they talk about, like, couples that will last forever and then list couples that were together in 85 and broken up by 98. So, like, the joke is obviously it didn't last forever. A very funny joke, but the first couple was Donnie and Ivana. No, get it, re-edit it. Pick a different couple. It's over. I want him... Yeah erased from pop culture (laughs) but jokes like that where we're like making in 1998 we're making fun of what we now know to be true and didn't in 1985 is a very specific type of campy humor right i also like the end is so over the top like they're on this airplane that doesn't look like any real airplane no first class is like I mean, it's honestly, it's what I imagine first class to be like, but I've never flown first class. Yeah. And he, like, is telling them all this story, and they're all engrossed in his story, and then there's, like, a you guys gotta help me moment, and, like, everyone cheers. 
Like it's ridiculous. It's completely insane. And the airplanes and the but I love airplane it. scene I wrote down, I love this dumbass movie. And then like yeah. Billy Idol show Billy Idol's just there. He like he tells Adam Sandler that he's gonna get him in touch with those record guys. Also, Billy Idol looks so like Billy Idol does not look like he <laughs> looked in nineteen eighty five. He looks like he looked in nineteen ninety-eight, which was thirteen years older. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's very campy. It's very like there's a very simple plot with a very campy overlay. And I mean, I I love camp. So not to go back because we're done with this family. But <laughs> when the when the tr- Donald Ivana joke happened, Jeff was like, well, weren't they still together in 1998? And I said, no, there's no way that's right, because Tiffany is older than 22 and I fucking hate that I know that about them. Like I don't, I want, I don't want to ever see any members of this family ever again. I want to like, see them I, in prison. I want pictures and video. Right, I'm but not like, a carceral person. I, Abolish the prison system. Keep one around for the Trumps. <laughs> I don't need to know how old Tiffany Trump. Like I don't want to know <gasps> that she's even a thing, let alone how old she is. Didn't she get engaged? Get these right people. Before? I don't right. get it. I don't care. I don't care if she's engaged. I don't care. She doesn't deserve a happy marriage. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. Okay. Enough about the Trumps. We're done with them. Done. I'm meditating on Major and Champ Biden. We're going to focus on the Biden granddaughters. Okay? Okay. I saw a lot of divisiveness about... I'll learn their names. I don't know them yet. The one in the pink looks her boots i saw a lot of hate on her brown suede boots and i just want to say for the record i liked her whole look boots included oh i haven't seen her boots they're I've brown the suede coat. the coat's good yeah all of there i really loved the coordinating amongst the granddaughters they all wore i mean you all know you all watch tv they all wore monochromatic like dresses that match their coats i love the idea of having mm. a coat for every outfit um and but then she had these like brown suede over the knee boots because it's very cold and people were like I liked the outfit until I saw the boots all over I saw that and I was like oh I liked it all I wouldn't wear it but I'm not a 22 year old so also my favorite look of like of the whole thing mm, that's not true it's hard you're gonna say Michelle everyone loved Michelle's no I was gonna say Mina Harris Kamala's niece Mm. Um, my favorite was Ella Emhoff tied with Amanda Gorman. I really loved the primary colorness of Amanda Gorman. Mm. And I liked the, like, you can just tell Ella Emhoff is like, has a lot of craft supplies. You know what I mean? She's a Parsons. She's a design student at Parsons. Huh. Then she absolutely has a lot of, did she design her own coat? (laughs) I loved her coat. No, her coat was, I, I, uh, I forget who the designer was, but. They said, but no, she didn't design her own coat, but she is a design student at Parsons. She and Mina had very similar, like, layered dress looks that were very of the time. Yes. Like, we're going to look back at that and be like, oh, this inauguration took place in 2021. (laughs) Mina Harris is very fashion forward, as is her husband, as are their children. They are, like, an incredibly fashion forward. husband was wearing, like, Gucci Nikes or something. Yes. Yeah. They're an – they're a – incredibly attractive couple i don't know like what their aspirations are but i wouldn't be surprised if we like continue to see a lot of them um we've gotten completely off track but i really don't have much else to say about the wedding no we enjoyed it 
It's deeply yeah. problematic, as we knew it would be. Yeah. I wonder if Fifty First yeah. Days is this problematic. We'll find out in three to six months when we watch that movie. I'm excited. I love Fifty First Days. I do too. I'm really excited to watch it. It's a banana pants premise that I've like. It's wild, but I still love, I'm excited to watch that one. What are we watching next week? <gasps> Oh my god, I'm so excited. Next week is going to be divisive as shit. We're watching Definitely Maybe. Oh, Jesus. Okay, it's not going to be divisive as shit. I don't hate Definitely Maybe. I like Definitely Maybe a lot. You put it in your top five. I put it in my top ten. That's a bold, bold statement. I'm going to write out my top ten. Okay, I was going to say, maybe for our next episode, we should both prepare our top 10. Okay. What if my top 10 list has like 15 movies in it? No. You have to do a top 10. Because you made the statement, definitely maybe is in my top 10. And that is a wild statement to me. My prediction is that it holds up. I think that you're obviously going to love it a lot more than I do. And I think that we should both come prepared with our top 10. Okay. Okay. How many of our top 10 do you think will be the same? At least 50%. I was going to say, do you think it's going to be like 7 to 9? Obviously, it won't be 10 because definitely maybe. Now I have to have definitely maybe in mind. Or I'm going to have to I think you need to be honest. I will be honest. Okay, 7 to 9, 5, 4 to 6, or 1 to 3. I think 7 to 9 of ours will be the same. Yeah, I don't know that they'll necessarily, like, be in the same order. Also, I don't think we should have to, like, do an order. It's just, like, what are your no, top No, your order favorites? changes every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, we'll be back um, next week, we'll be back with our second installment of our uh, Evie Drake Starts Over book club um, mini-sode. So catch that next Monday. And then in two weeks, we'll be back with uh, Definitely Maybe and our top 10 rom-com lists. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell your friends. Bye. Um, bye. Bye.